I need to bang out some sales tomorrow, baby. Chasing the dream. High on caffeine. I'm ready, brother. Cue it up. I was going to do a little story where I was going to tell, uh, uh, use John Carpenter's The Fog mm-hmm. as my kind of framing. Sure. For a story that I'm just going to tell you real quick. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it'll end up as a as a, a little cut piece. Have you ever heard of a CIA and U.S. Army co-op called Operation Sea Spray? Sea Spray. I have not. I don't think so. Sea Spray. This was a, a joint operation where CIA uh, and the United States Army were very concerned. They thought for sure that the Soviet Union had the, or, or possibly even China had the uh, had the capability of launching a biological weapon attack on the United States, a thing that they were not really trying to do. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Right. They ran some simulations and they were like, oh, okay, this is great. But like, if we want to know how a biological attack would really happen in an American city, they did it on their, re- on their residence. We need to do it and see how things yes. would spread. Are you reading it? You're looking at it now. Yeah. yeah I'm so, just reading it now. so they, they, they were like, we're going to do this with crap. mist and it's going to be slightly colored. So we need fog to camouflage it. So like, mm-hmm. so where can we get, where do we know we'll have fog? Ah, San Francisco. And so they unleashed this bacteria on San Francisco and it was remarkably effective. It, it, uh, they, you know, the bacteria spread to the entire Bay area, not just San Francisco, but to the whole Bay area. And now, now, you know, they thought that this bacterial infection was going to be benign. It was Uh mild enough. It wouldn't have any effect, but of course, you know, a bunch of people got like really bad urinary tract infections. A bunch of people had other, other things go wrong and one person died. Uh, after they were, you know, biologically attacked by their own government. So <laughs> I thought it would be fun to kind of do Operation Sea Spray within like, like framing it within the, you know, like the movie, The Fog. <laughs> I like that. I like it. Yeah. So that's my good idea that didn't come to pass. Yeah. All right. Uh, on that on. note, are you, uh, are you ready to rock and roll? Let's do it, baby. All right. Spooky theme music plays. Cue the music. Welcome to an Unbalanced Views of History spooky season special. You like that? Normally, this is a mostly American history podcast where we take a deep dive into interesting but little known stories over the course of uh, four episodes or so. But today, we are going to do something a little different. Larry XL, our special guest for the Smallpox in the American Revolution series we've been working on, is unavailable this week. He's probably being attacked by ghouls. So, unbalanced listener, you are stuck once again with your regular old co-hosts. This week, we will look at a couple of what I'm calling little quick hitters, short stories that hopefully fit the mood of spooky season, or at least a little bit, uh, just for a bit of fun. I haven't written any scripts here, so this is going to be a much more freewheeling episode than normal, and hopefully it works and you like it. And if not... I was going to say, if not, then then uh, tough tits. 
That's right. If not, try the other ones. They might be more to your liking. Change the channel. If this is your first episode, welcome. I'm your host, lover of zombie tropes, want to believe er in aliens, but not the proby kind, and guy who feels like he's wearing the sunglasses from They Live all the time. I'm Brian. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, lover of unobtainium, host to parasitic right-wing right-wing brainworms, and guy currently pointing Chekhov's gun at me. I hope that isn't relevant later. It's Mike. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing well, my friend. How are you? Good to be on again. Good to be on. I'm well. Put Chekhov's gun away. Put away for now, but don't don't make me bring it out again. That's all I got to say. You know what Chekhov's gun is, correct? Correct. It's the uh, classic AK-47, and Indeed. it's been used. It's very reliable. It will fire even when jammed with sand. So uh, don't mess with me, all right? And it makes think, a distinguished sound, according to Clint Eastwood, in a couple different movies, all right? I think uh, I think we are thinking of different Chekhov's. Okay. Yeah. Well, you sent it to me in a text. Yes. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you read it. Every once in a while, I, you know, I read I'll it. send you a cluster, and I'm like, all right, he yeah, read the okay. first one, maybe. Well, there was a couple books that was crammed before that and then after <laughs> that in a text version that I had to get through. Mm. <laughs> but I did finally get to it. Well, you keep trying to defend Columbus. Um, and I just, I can't, My boy it just, it just, I just cannot, it's, I, you know, I'll let you do, I'll let you defend certain people and just say, okay, sure. No, I disagree. I think he's a piece of garbage or whatever, but Columbus is one that is like his own contemporaries thought he was a monster. That's all I'm going to say. Like that's, you know, I, I didn't disagree. I did not disagree yeah. with that. I didn't disagree with it. I just uh, said that, uh, we should celebrate yeah, the bravery of the men very... who actually sailed the ships to get Listen. here. You got to have balls to get on those types of boats and sail across the ocean. That's all I got to say. And that's, and you know, and let me just say also, that's, that's fine. I mean, uh, you know, that's fine, but also he didn't do it alone. No, of course not. But we have, we have lost the names of most of those men to history. Not that they were good people that were, are deserving of celebration either, (laughs) but I will say at least the Pinzone brothers, uh, the Pinzone brothers um, saved Columbus's bacon when he wrecked his ship because he because uh, he navigated right into some shoals, mm-hmm. um, and they and they and then he was he was writing like oh woe is me there's no way anybody's going to be able to get close enough to rescue us and then uh, Martin Pinzone sailed the Pinto right up right next to him so they could be saved, um, which was nice of him. But then the Pinzone brothers were just eventually like this guy's such a dick they 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 left. <laughs> They left. They left. They were like, "We're out of here. Like, we we're gonna go our own way because can't stand it." Um, and then when they sailed back, they they you know they arrived in Spain, and um, and Columbus did not. Columbus arrived in Portugal because he misnavigated his way back home, and uh, and almost started a war because like you know he's flying the Spanish flag and like rolls up you know rolls up with uh, you know a, a cannonaded uh, caravel into uh, Portuguese under the Portuguese shore. And they're like, Hey, 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 what are you, what are you doing? Like, that's not okay. Um, and Pinzone got to Spain first, but, uh, but whatever he's are we uh, doing an episode on Chrissy on Chrissy Columbus. No, no, that's Great, just me. Then. Still mad. I'm still mad about it. <laughs> so, so Mike, 
Don't get angry at the guy. He's been dead for a long time. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't suffer enough. So, uh, Mike, normally we use this moment to say, uh, what's your sunshine this week? But uh, given that it's spooky season, uh, (laughs) what's your uh, full moon shine this week? Full moon shine. Let's see. So that I got to say, I have been helping small business owners lately, one after the other. Good God. Prepare, prepare for the recession. Make sure they're profitable. Make sure they have, you know, quality people. And I've been picking up a couple more clients this week. And it's just a real pleasure to work with the salt of the earth people that are small business owners. So really, when you say all that, yes, just curious, you mean you're trying to make sure that they are set up, that they can continue to have employees that make a living wage who can uh, so that the working class folks that work for them will be taken care of during this recession, that they will Correct. make sure that, that, you know, if it means, uh, you know, you, they, they have to make sure that they're paying their people well enough to stick around and to survive and all that. That's what you're setting up. That's absolutely correct. Good. Cause that's what I care about. Yep. Uh, I don't care about the rest of it. The backbone um, of our country, my friend, the small business owner. I mean, Gotta that's what them. we like. It's what we like to say. And, but it's not, and uh, you know, these really people true. are, they're, they're, they're surprisingly well off, but, but for the most part, blue collar, they're not highly educated. They're smart, but uh, they're just your average Joe, right? They're not, when you think business owner, you might think like some wealthy private jet flying person or something like that. Maybe not even first class. No. These guys, let me tell you, they, they, they uh, care about their people. They do really good work. They're passionate. And for people that are, for the most part, high school graduates, you know, they're in the top 1%. Yeah, at the end of the day, they're making a few hundred thousand a year minimum. And uh, hopefully we can put more in their pocket to give back to the communities and keep growing and hiring. And, you know, the average client has 30 families that rely on them for me. 30, 30 families. Okay. <clears throat> sure. So that's, I my, guess, yeah. that's my moonshine. Okay. What are you, what are you howling out, howling at today? Besides, so, besides Chrissy Columbus. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so this weekend, uh, my daughter is competing in a, uh, a Taekwondo tournament. And so she's going to uh, kick some ass, baby. I'm telling you, I, I really, uh, I ought to send you some of the videos. Like, uh, anyway, she's going to this tournament. And, um, so we've been pushing her a little harder than usual. I usually, you know, Taekwondo is fun. It's, it is, she has fun doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but wanted to get in, you know, a few extra sessions this week. I, um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you never know if you win a medal or anything like that, but if she, uh, if she is as aggressive, uh, from the beginning as she is, as she has been at practice all week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine any of these other kids being able to compete with her in sparring. That's for sure. that, are they doing? She, are they doing sparring where they count the the contact? They go, okay, one, you got a point, and then yep, they go to that yeah. thing, and it's a tournament or something like that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, wow, and that's um, awesome. She went up against. Uh, she went out with another against another little girl who is. Um, you know, uh, she has a, a green belt mm-hmm. and she just did her midterm graduation. So she's like the second half of a green belt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the little girl she went against had a blue belt, which is, uh, I think blue is next after green. So she's, you know, a bit advanced. Mm-hmm. 
and is also like 11. Mm, and mm, that's a big, that's the big difference right there. And my daughter tore up. Really? Tore up. Wow. That's great. That's awesome. She just was, it's like a flurry of punches and kicks. At the rate she's going, she'll be going for black belt by like March 2024. So that's amazing. That is amazing. Maybe a little bit later than that. It, it might be closer to her birthday. I, I can't remember the schedule exactly, but it's, um, but yeah, by the time she's like nine, she'll be a black belt, um, which is insane. And, you know, it's crazy. She'll, man. she'll be able to it's kick crazy. my butt. Anyway. Yeah. So that's Good my sunshine stuff. is I'm excited to do this little tournament um, to see, you know, to see her compete against some strangers and, yeah. and to be able yeah. to compete only against kids that are her own age, you know what I mean? Instead of like, cause it is kind of a mixed bag. Yeah. And a lot of times she's the only one that's like her age there. So, so that's my moonshine. Uh, other than of course, moonshine. I want to start this week. Um, it's, a, it's a little more free flow and I'm going to edit a lot of that intro out. Cause there's just a lot of rambling. Uh, you can see what happens when I get off script. Um, so I want to start this week with a little story about a word or theme, or a word and a theme that doesn't necessarily fit with the spooky theme perfectly, but I do want to briefly talk about it, uh, kind of as an introduction and it's a cool story. And it is a theme that we find pretty often used in like suspenseful movies and TV shows, horror movies. Uh, so, you know, that's my, my tangible link, right? So an especially, uh, an especially famous example of this particular trope can be found in a rather iconic suspense horror film where a protagonist is sabotaged. That's our theme sabotage by a classic anti-hero placing them both in grave danger of dismemberment and death. And of course I'm talking about the movie classic body horror movie toy story. Oh yeah. One of my favorites little uh, backstory i watched the the uh, trilogy backwards so i started with toy story three then went to two and then one and loved them all this was right in the time that i well my daughter started obviously that's the reason i watched them originally and uh three is the worst fantastic except Um, for the last i think one four is better than three four is i think four is much better than was it three I think, I, yeah, I saw four at the movie theater with my daughter, and I thought it was decent. I just thought three. And I four, thought that the reason I liked four, I don't know, was I that I felt like it got two. back I to. I felt like three kind of sits like an outlier in the series. It, it doesn't. There's no. There's nothing satisfying about it. There's no real closure. It's a kind mm-hmm. of you. You're kind of left with a bit of ennui at the end of it. It's it's a bit melancholic, but it's not really. I don't know. I don't really feel like it does. Uh, I don't feel like it does a thing mm-hmm. like in the same way that one and two do a thing. Right. I mean, and, and, and again, I mean, I, you know, not to get too much into what is ostensibly a kid's movie, but like mm-hmm. I'm joking when I say that that movie is deals with body horror and deals with, uh, you know, I mean, it, it deals with some pretty heavy themes. Um, even Especially if they're the third one, well, the, about the first one, one deals with store was spooky. With the yeah. Dolls, it's a little spooky. With the heads. Yeah. Yeah, where he sneaks into the store and then he's part of the 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 one creepy daughter or the creepy dolls pushing the the like the basket or whatever it is. Oh man, and she has her little two sidekicks. Oh my god, that was scary. The um the yeah. fourth one is the one with the uh, with like the the vintage shop and the, it, that might the be dolls the in there. One, then. They're That's pretty the creepy. That's the fourth one then. 
That's what with I'm the ventriloquist about. dummy. Yes, the ventriloquist yes, dummy yes, that yes, are, yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, yes. That's um, what I'm talking about. But the thing about one is, it really does deal with this idea of body horror because you remember the villain in one is the next door neighbor kids or the neighbor kid Sid, who like oh blowing up stuff where he blows blowing up, up toys. But he also what he he dismembers them and then puts them back together in yeah. forms they were never meant to to occupy. Sure. And, and so I I mean that is. That is body horror. That is a just like any other body horror movie, except with toys as the, you know, as the victims. And anyway, so I, I kind of, you know, I thought I think that there are, there are some pretty heavy horror spooky themes in there. They're just dressed down for children, so it's a good way to enter. Sure, sure. So, so the term and or and or sort of trope that we want to deal with, I want to tell you about is uh, the idea of sabotage. Ooh. Just brings back, it just brings back, you know, memories of, uh, of uh, the Beastie Boys for me. Absolutely. But as it turns out, Mike, the word existed before the song. No. Uh, the Beastie Boys did not invent the word huh. or the theme. So, okay. So don't look this up. I want to, I want to tell okay. you about it. So the, the word itself. Can I guess where it comes from? Can I guess where it comes from? Seven you can times? guess. Sure. Guess. Sure. I'm thinking it's French. It comes from a French-oriented word because they're always fucking complaining about getting their asses whooped. So they're probably like, oh, we've been sabotaged again. Sabotage. It's sabotage again. Our Navy sunk again. We're getting beat up again. America saved us again. Sabotage, sabotage. Am I right? No. But 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 okay, French, you're right about the French part. The rest of it, you're way off. Okay. okay. So. Okay. But I'm right. I guess, guess French. French. So the most popular, although it's probably inaccurate, um, although again, like a lot, like a lot of these things, you get these popular theories. There's probably truth buried in there somewhere, but the most popular sure, if inaccurate sure, theory sure. is that um, wooden clogs, like uh, like the ones they wear in the uh, Netherlands, which are they're called clompen yeah. in the Netherlands, but in in French, the word for those wooden clogs is sabot. Okay, sabot. Oh. Um, now. Really quick, you know, those wooden clogs. Do you know anything about those things? Like they're why people wear them? Um <clears throat> wooden clogs. Why I, I swear I've read something about that, but I don't recall. Okay. So the Netherlands, uh the Netherlands I find it to be an interesting country, at least in part because I don't know a lot of other countries where the name is so uh is so well there there are probably, but the name is so sort of weird. Um Nederland, uh Netherlands means low country and so the the netherlands is just uh like for years was just called like the low country but uh anyway so it's the because it's you know that's why they have uh dikes and a series of dikes and dams and everything else in order to hold the 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 ocean back because it's uh below sea level and that's where the neanderthals come from too no they come from the the neander valley uh in the netherlands no no the neander valley is uh I, ger, like germany uh germany france okay. if i'm not mistaken i'm one for one anyway so wooden clogs are called sabot or sabot in uh, french and the story goes that in the 15th century so we're talking 1400s peasant workers in france who were angry over uh working conditions as things were in the long slow process of pre sort of industrialization uh that as they grew angry over working conditions, they would throw their sabbat into the machinery in order to slow it down or break it. And hence you got sabotage, 
right? Throwing your shoe into the, your wooden shoe into the machinery to like stop the gears. Now, this is probably not true. However, uh, the whole thing with the wooden shoes, just to digress for one second, um, is that they're, they're peasant shoes. Uh, they're, they're easy to make. They're cheap to make. They're, uh, the wood is abundant enough to make them pretty easily, uh, as opposed to, uh, leather, which, and they also last a lot longer. They, um, they're, they're good for that, but also for, especially in places like low lying areas like the Netherlands, you would find fishermen and farmers were the ones who sort of wore these because they'd walk around and it would prevent them from getting things like fish hooks stuck in their feet or nails stuck in their feet, things that would go right through leather, uh, but not go through the wooden shoes. Now, uh, they have those curled up pointy toes because of course, because they're wood as opposed to something flexible like leather, you can't rotate on the ball of your foot the way you can with a soft shoe. So they have to have that curled toe in order to allow you to sort of rotate on the ball of your foot by, you know, because like when you're on the ball of your foot, the toe is way up in the air. So you can sort of pivot on that rounded, that rounded toe. You're talking about the shoes that the Iron Sheik used to wear. No, those were like, those were like slippers, but, um, but well, they weren't wooden. I mean, the shape with the hook on. The but the front. shape, yeah. Well, you've seen, but you've seen like wooden yes. Dutch shoes. They do the same thing. They sort of curl up at the front. Anyway, um, the this the story about the sabbat. The reason I think it's probably not true is that there really weren't uh, any machines in 15th century France. There weren't any real machines in like I mean, like not that kind of machine uh, anywhere. Like the story is that it was this was people who were working like uh, knitting machines or looms. And like the first knitting machine wasn't invented until like 1597 um, or maybe 1497 rather. So at the very, very end of the 15th century. So it seems odd that that would be the story. Um, but anyway, there's probably some truth to this, but also the fact that it's peasants throwing their shoes into a machine that would get like that would then break their shoes or leave them shoeless uh, seems problematic because poor people need their shoes and Correct. can't really afford to replace them. So again, there's probably some truth in all this. Like, there's probably something. It's probably a thing that maybe happened, but not like en masse. But it's a good story. So good a story, in fact, that anarchists in the uh, 18th and 19th century, who were uh, trying to organize labor during the actual Industrial Revolution, they adopted the sabbat, the clog, as one of their symbols. So they would put up like, you know, pamphlets and and have uh, signs and stuff made with just like a crude kind of that wooden clog drawn on it and that basically was like we're having an anarchist meeting at this place or we're doing whatever anyway um however sabbat became a synonymous term just for the rural peasants in france as it did industrialized so people would just call like poor peasants from the country sabbat like that would be the kind of that's what they'd say in the cities right so when workers went on strike because, of course, the industrialization process sucked and like uh, capitalists treat their labor like, like shit. They don't pay them. They put them in horrible conditions. You know, nothing's changed. And they would then so like these people would try to like go and strike in order to, um, you know, demand better working conditions or enough money to like buy food and stuff. And the capitalist sort of industrialists would bring in rural peasants. They would sort of, you know, go and get them and bring them into the cities to work as essentially as strike breakers. Of course, they don't know they're strike breakers. They're just being dragged into work, right? Mm-hmm. And these guys were, these people were like untrained. They were unfamiliar with the machinery, untrained in the work. And they wore their wooden shoes, which on cobblestones are not very good. They're great in wet 
fields and around the seashore and all that, not so good on cobblestones. So they mm-hmm. clomp, clomp, clomp all around, which is probably why they're called clomping in the, the, that the Dutch call them clomping. And the word clog sounds an awful lot like the sound they make when, if you hit wood on like a, you know, cobblestone, it sounds a lot like what they would sound like. So saboteurs became a, a, was a phrase that came to be known for like walking noisily, like you're saboteuring. Yes. However, because these saboteurs, these are these, these sabots come in and are brought in to work these factory, these early factories and stuff, but they don't know how to use the machinery. They don't know how to do the stuff. The word saboteurs meet comes to have like a double entendre, not just walking around loudly, but it also comes to mean like shoddy work or to bungle a job, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's kind of what they were doing was shoddy work, mm-hmm. bungling a job. When the strikes eventually would end, you know, the workers come back and the saboteurs are fired because they're not very good at the job. Workers eventually will adopt this tactic of doing shoddy work, bungling the job, saboteuring in order to, like, as a tactic for better conditions. Mm-hmm. So they start saboteuring in order to try and improve their wages and improve their conditions. So the word, you know, which meant like started meaning shoddy work and then means you know, it sort of means walking around loudly. Then it means shoddy work because people walking around loud. Then the, the workers, the, the more skilled factory workers start adopting the tactic of doing that shoddy work of saboteuring. And so the word starts to become synonymous with like shoddy work. But because it becomes a tactic, it starts to have a kind of different meaning, mm-hmm. even though it has the same meaning. Right. Here's the thing. Same root meaning behind the English word slipshod, which literally means wearing loose shoes. Or loose slippers, mm-hmm. to, you know, like you shoe a horse, it's shod. Mm-hmm. Slipshod means sl- slippers, you know, shod. Like so, and it's where we get the idea of shoddy work. Hmm. Slipshod, shoddy, saboteurs. All of that is from the same kind of root, Very which I think is really interesting. Very interesting. Sabat comes from the same root as the Spanish zapato for shoe, the Turkish zabata for shoe, and the Italian ciabatta, which means slipper. But then they make a bread, a flatbread, that originally sort of has a rounded shape and everything else and kind of looks like a slipper. So ciabatta bread comes from the same root of sabotage. And you've also forgot that so. Italy came with Antonio Sabato Jr., who was a phenomenal actor. But that, a few years later, yeah, a few years later. Okay. Um, Not quite the same era, no, but no. close. Okay. That's Antonio Slipper to you. <laughs> <laughs> Antonio Slipper Jr., Little little Anthony Slipper. <laughs> the first time the word sabotage is used in English was 1910. And it came in the context of a British newspaper, like complaining about French railway workers who were on strike in France. And it was basically called and used the word sabotage, which was a word they'd been using in France now for like a couple hundred years to mean, you know, shoddy work or like intentionally bungling a job or whatever. But for the first time in English in 1910, as they were complaining about the French rail traffic. Now, French railway railway strikers sabotage rails as a tactic to try and improve their conditions. They would do things like throw switches to make trains go to a different direction. So then like perishable, especially with perishable goods. Yeah. So then the perishable goods would rot in the car and the train cars it would all rot. Yep. 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 And so, you know, again, you, you, if you want to improve conditions, you hurt your the owners in their wallet. Um, they don't care about humanity, but they do care about money. Correct. And so that's the only the only way to possibly improve your condition is to to hurt their money. Oh, anyway. So, OK, so they would throw these switches and all this other stuff. They also removed or loosened something 
on the tracks that was called the Sabat de Voix. Now, uh-huh. the Sabat de Voix right. was like um, a little brake shoe on the side of the tracks that would help slow down the train as it uh, approached like a descent, right? Because, you know, going downhill without uh, without slowing down properly is really dangerous. And this is 1910. So, so you know, like, so you have these these things that would sort of automatically provide some braking. So these railroad railway workers on strike would go and either loosen them or remove them so that the trains would then derail when they started going down the hill because they couldn't slow down enough because mm-hmm. uh, these, these you know, sabat de voie were, were removed or loose or whatever. And so causes derailments and everything else. And that's where the term sabotage comes into English, where the English are complaining about these trains being sabotaged by French workers and basically saying, right. like, they should just be happy to have any old job. They shouldn't be complaining about uh, about how much they get paid. So there you go. Just like the anti-hero Woody, how he learned that solidarity with Buzz and the rest of the proletarian toys was the only way to secure their rights in the suspenseful body horror film Toy Story. So, too, did French railway workers learn to throw their metaphorical wooden shoes into the machinery of capital, relying on solidarity to secure their own improved working conditions and forestall being ground up by the gears of capital. I love Uh, it. There's my opening story. I think it's phenomenal. I hope you like it. I think it's fantastic. (laughs) Um, I'll never watch Toy Story the same again. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a body. I mean, there's a lot of body horror stuff there. It's it's worth, you know, you gotta, you know, evaluate culture, man. Cultures, people, people create culture for a reason. They create art for a reason. Got to contemplate it. I would argue that Toy Story is art. Yeah. Uh, hey, listen, I'll tell you, it's a, I love the movie and I watch it to this day. Like, I didn't just watch it because my, my, I originally watched it because my daughter was a little kid and she watched those movies. And then after that, there's times where I've watched it alone. So if it's on, I'll put it on sometimes. And Mike, that is where we will stop our story for the night. That's, that's a great decision. Leave now while you still can. 